Hello everyone and welcome to episode number 40 of Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all very much for joining us today, wherever you're listening in right now. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Now, big show coming your way today as I sit down with two-time Olympian, Aussie swimming legend and now head coach of San Susie Sea Devils, Mr. Craig Stevens. Had a great chat with Craig a week ago and discussed everything from his coaching right now during the pandemic, growing up in the pool and what those early days looked like for him, his amazing career with all the highs and learning experiences along the way, including the Olympic trials in 2004 where Thorpey Falls started, finaling and getting a medal in Athens, getting under the 15-minute barrier, his silver medal from the 2007 World Champs in the 800, and a whole lot more. So turn your car speakers up if you're in the car. If not, turn your AirPods up because at 40 with Aussie swimming legend Craig Stevens starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Joining me today on the show is a two-time Olympian and Olympic and World Championship medalist. He is one of the few Aussie men to be under the 15-minute barrier in the 1500 and in recent years has become a very successful head coach at San Susie Sea Devil Swim Club, helping mentor and coach the next generation of Aussie stars. It's a massive welcome to Off The Block Swimming Podcast to my good friend Craig Stevens. Craig, how you going, mate? Good, Robbie. Thank you for having me on. Not a trouble at all, mate. Now, listen, as uh, I just mentioned, you're a coach yourself. I've been up this morning at 4 a.m., coffee into me and and a a coaching session this morning. What about yourself? What would you get up to? Yeah, that's pretty much the same as me, mate. So, you know, up at quarter past four, get ready, get down the pool, get the session organized for the morning and and get them going. So this time of year, it's it's beautiful time in Sydney coming into springtime, getting some beautiful mornings outside, looking over the water at San Susie. So... Looking at um, you know, what we're going to be doing over the summertime now. Hopefully, the um, the COVID is all lifting a bit, and we can start uh, racing again. Well, fingers crossed. I know the um, the NRL um, stadiums are starting to be allowed to go back to half capacity and stuff like that. So, fingers crossed, SOPAC and other venues like that can start to hold a little bit more. Um, what a, Tuesday morning? What does it look for for you? Look at like, sorry, for you guys. Um, we've just started a new program, so. Over the um, the winter months, our outdoor pool needed a, a bit of fixing up. So we've just been um, using an indoor pool for the last couple of months since we've come back from COVID. So we're only second week into a new timetable. So I've got my gold and silver group combined on a, on a Tuesday morning. So we did a medley set um, with some speed of fin, fin work um, after that, just to get the silver group ready for a session on their own this afternoon. And the gold guys were yesterday afternoon and, and the gold guys will come in and do an hour of weights um, on their own um, this afternoon and then have the afternoon off swimming. So, you know, just trying to get, you know, the program settled and sorted. And we've got five different squads that we're running at the moment. So just looking at how I can look at making sure that we make the most of um, the lane space available to us and, and get the kids excited about what's to come over the summer months. Yeah, very nice. Now, obviously, the COVID break, mate, it's, it's sort of um, been challenging for people uh, in different ways, depending on if you've managed to get on JobKeeper and all those different things. How, how do you find it? I know coaches typically don't like to, you know, not be in control of what's going on. And this was uh, just a, a massive example of, um, you know, coaches not having any control over what's happening. How do you find it? Yeah, it was very, very strange. Um, I've got three kids. They're all school age, so... I've got one in year one, one in year three, and one in year five. So we had three laptops set up in the kitchen. So I was going between. Uh, my wife is a hairdresser. She works from home. So she was having clients still coming in and out of the house. So it was, it was pretty strange. I, I went to work just before we closed down and got a whole lot of um, gym equipment and set up some weights up on the back deck. 
um, my older swimmers were coming over on different days and I was having them like just go through some, some gym programs mm-hmm. in between, you know, doing maths and science and English and all these other things. So, you know, we'd go out and we'll play handball at recess. Then we'd uh, lunchtime, you know, we'd mm-hmm. go to the park and, and do something. So we had some great weather, which was fortunate enough. But, you know, you're looking back on it now and now the kids are back at school. It's very quiet at home. So mm-hmm. one of those things you tried to make a, a good experience out of a a bad thing that was happening and you know the kids still talk about what we used to do when they were being homeschooled and and then once we started to be able to get back in contact with the squad kids I was organizing meetups um, at the rock pool down at Cronulla or um, at Dolls Point which is close to San Susie where the, the kids would go for walks and, and see each other again and they'd bring their dogs and if it was warm enough they'd have a swim you know either in the nets or in the rock pool so yeah, it was fun just trying to do something different you know we organized like a team app um, posting videos of exercises and then obviously like what Asta did with the the video calls was great having all those Zoom meetings with some pretty impressive um, mentors that we've mm. got to listen to and learn from so yeah it was a great time just to take a little step back and, and learn a bit more and then think about ways that we can still connect with our swimmers and also you know with our kids at, at home like you know make something that they can remember for the rest of their lives um, a, a great memory. I'm glad you mentioned that, mate, in terms of uh, the kids and at home. What, what's Craig Stevens like as a at-home uh, teacher? Because I've got to tell you, you know, I see some of the homework coming from my squad kids and I think don't even come near me to ask me those questions. Ask me life questions, but don't ask me about mathematics and all that stuff because I've got no idea. How'd you go with all that? Uh, lucky they're only year five. Um, is the <laughs> I reckon I'd still be in trouble, mate. <laughs> Um, yeah, any of the high school stuff I'd, I'll probably have a bit of struggle with. Like, you know, as you said, you look at some of the kids that are doing homework on pool day before they get in. I'm like, good luck with that, guys. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. hopefully your teachers are looking after you at school. <laughs> so you, you're more in, uh, inclined to enjoy the uh, recess and lunch breaks, those handball sessions? Yeah, I got my handball skills back up to scratch, made sure I was, you know, in plenty of time in ACE, and, but also yeah. made sure, obviously, like, you know, look after them and, and give them a go as well. So. Yeah, we put a basketball ring up out the back so they could do that. And two of my girls have started playing soccer this winter. So we made sure we catched up on the on the soccer skills. And then one of my daughters, my oldest one, played AFL this year. So, oh, yeah, nice. so in between swimming, just trying to get them in, involved in lots of different sports, which was what I was about as a youngster. Do as many things as you can and, and find out what you love. And then hopefully, you know, once you've got a passion for it, you can go, go along and, and do something with it. So, yeah, my, my youngest and my, my middle one having a great soccer season mm. and then my eldest has just finished her AFL season so they've um you know really enjoyed doing something different hopefully they'll continue to do that it's really taking off isn't it girls uh, AFL the uh, AFLW league or whatever I'm not sure exactly what they call it but I know quite a, f- a few um, girls that are playing that now and really enjoying it yeah, it's amazing like just our local club team the Miranda Bombers like you know they had an, an under 10s and under 12s and an under 14s team um, so my, my girl was in the under 12s team and they just missed out on the semis, but, you know, we traveled to Canada Bay and Glebe and Maroubra, um, Western suburbs, you know, San Susie, oh, sorry, Ramsgate had a, had a team as well. So yeah, there's some great, um, mentors and AFL does really good things in schools. So it's, a, it's kicking off big time. Just be able to like, you know, have a, have a girls team on their own, not have to worry about playing with the boys. And, you know, same with the soccer. Like, there's so many girls' soccer teams around. You look mm-hmm. at what the Matildas have done. They're such great role, role models for the girls these days. So, you know, swimming used to be one of the only sports where girls could get out as well as netball. I, I guess, like, you know, where they could play on teams or, or do a sport where they're competing against only girls. But you look at all the sports now doing such great things. And it's, it's great to have three girls and, and so many options available to them. Absolutely. Now, mate, let's get stuck into uh, into your swimming career and why we're here today, which is to talk about you and, and what you achieved in the pool. How did swimming start for you, mate? Where did you grow up and, and how did you get involved in swimming? Uh, I grew up um, in Sutherland, so just a, a suburb called Bonnet Bay. So I spent the first six of my lives there. So there was a little pool um, just up the road that I was able to um, to learn to swim at and started doing little squads. Um, we joined the, the local swim club, which was Aquadot at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was about six or seven at that stage. So the local, that pool closed down. Um, and then there was a, a club called Jones at Hurstville. So myself and or my family and a whole lot of other families, once this 
little aqueduct pool closed down. We moved over to there. Um, I swam there till I was about 10 or 11 and, yeah, just really enjoyed it. Just the swimming in a squad and swimming with kids and, you know, also playing soccer and different things at, at school and, and out of school. So that was how I first started and that was something that, you know, you look back on and, and think, yep, that was something that was really a big part of my life and it was hard, like, you know, as any kid now, like, you know, especially now I'm coaching, you see, you know, kids, they show up every morning and every afternoon and they want to be involved and, you know, mm. I remember you know, getting home from swimming and quickly brushing my teeth and having breakfast and getting ready for the bus to get to school, you know, but you wouldn't have it any other way. And, and so it's swimming such a big part of people's lives and it's also such a, a healthy environment to be involved to in, involved in learning to be, you know, competitive but also healthy at a young age, uh, doing a, a sport that is so um, so good for you. What did you enjoy most about it when you're training, say, in those junior squads? Was it more about being around the you know, your friends and, and a group of, of, you know, like-minded people or was it, you know, challenging yourself? Obviously, you know, being more middle distance and distance swimmer, you certainly were able to um, absorb some punishment. You would have been able to, you know, push your body to limits that other people couldn't have challenged yourself. For me, I know when I swim, I just love being around um, the team, which is probably why my career never took off because <laughs> apart from that, it wasn't going very well. But, geez, I enjoyed being there. What, what did you enjoy most about it when you were younger? Yeah, that was it. Like just, you know, turning up and being with a, a great group of kids and, and kids that you enjoyed. So obviously you had your school friends, uh, then you had your, your swimming friends. So just being able to, to be close to two um, friendship groups, I guess you could say. Like, you know, you, you mucked around at school and you played footy and soccer at lunchtime and then you got to go swimming in the afternoons and the mornings and, and um, be around people of, as you said, similar um, interests. So... As I was, um, you know, younger, sprinting was probably more more of my more of my thing. Like, you know, when I was nine, ten, um, eleven, I think two hundred backstroke was my first event I qualified for for nationals. Um, I remember, like, you know, being a ten year old, I raced against Justin Norris in the final of the hundred freestyle at mm-hmm. at state one year, and you know, he beat me. This guy with no goggles wearing a red cap from Stockton, and you know, so they're the French friendships that we formed from such, such a young age and, you know, then being able to go on the Australian team with him. Um, you know, when I was about 12 or 13, I started back at Sutherland Pool. Um, I was pretty pretty late maturing. Um, so early teenage years, you know, I got, I guess, a bit, a bit behind in, in my competition and it got a bit lost. And it was because I, I formed such great friendships at, um, at Sutherland Pool, like, you know, Simon Cowley, I became really good friends with him and we're still really good mates to, to this day. Like, you know, we're, we're each other's groomsmen at our weddings and, mm-hmm. you know, we catch up a lot. So I formed a, a great friendship with him and I guess 13, 14, 15, I was just turning up to the pool just because I loved swimming. I was, you know, barely making national age qualifying time, but, you know, just because I loved being there and, and loved being involved in the sport, that's what kept me going. And then obviously as I started to grow, um, and started to get better results moving into kind of 16, 17. That was about the time where, you know, Doug Frost and Ian Thorpe came across the Sutherland Pool from Padstow mm. and I started to work a bit more and obviously the maturity, the physical maturity helped with the workload that was added. So that was when I really started to, to think, okay, well, maybe I can make something of this. Yeah. Mate, we'll, we'll get to that sort of um, super squad that would start to eventuate there at Sutherland when, um, as you said, Doug and, and Thorpe, you came across. But you mentioned a few times there just sort of playing other sports. And as a youngster coming through, I personally as a coach think it's really important that we allow those young kids to play other sports and enjoy, you know, being doing other things outside of it. For you as a coach, and obviously you were a swimmer that did play other sports, how important is it, do you think, to the longevity of swimmers that they are able to enjoy other things coming through and not just pigeonholed as, oh, you're a really good 12-year-old freestyler. Let's just, you know, smash you now and get you through because you're going to be really good. Let's let them enjoy it. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a hard thing because you do get the kids that are, are very um, talented at a, at a young age, but I've also seen a lot of talented kids who are the next Ian Thorpe. Um, so I've seen about... 15 of them at least in New South Wales are the next Ian Thorpe that don't eventuate because they get to 16 and they don't want to swim anymore because of the workload that was put into them too early. Mm. But then again, you look at Ian and he was, you know, able to go from, you know, a 14 year old at Pampax to a 15 year old world champion. So Mm. you just don't know, but I mean, I'm all about enjoyment, just loving the sport. So I've got kids now that are national qualifiers 
that you know are also rep netballers, they're uh, rep soccer players, they're you know they're going and um, competing in the surf as well as the still water. So, I mean, I used to you know go to the beach on the weekends and compete in surf lifesaving um, without my coach knowing about it because he didn't like you know us <laughs> being on the board or, or being in the ocean because it used to ruin your technique. So, you know, I came into training one day. This is before Doug came with a different coach and I had a rush from being on the board on the weekend and they just said, oh, what was that from? And I said, oh, I've just got a reaction to something. Like, so he had to lie about being involved in other sports. And, you know, I played soccer till I was 12 and I played AFL till I was 15 or 16. But then when Doug came across and it was time to start doing 10 sessions a week, well, then kind of that's when I thought, okay, well, you know, training with Ian and, and looking at what was needed to be done, I needed to make sure that I started to rest on the weekend. So that was at a time when I was, you know, that bit older. So that was my focus and, and I'd been and done different things and swimming became my priority. But you look at kids now when they're younger, I want them to, to be able to do other sports and other things. And when they're ready to be able to say, all right, let's go, let's, let's concentrate on swimming. And, you know, I've had some great kids that I've coached and I've gone, I've had four, four or five go to university in America because they've committed themselves to swimming and they've got the results and they've been able to get scholarships um so it's a credit to them to be able to do that so you know you, you let them know you let them know how talented they are and what they what they could do um but i think it's the individual themselves that has to be prepared to make the commitment to put in the work to get to where they um you know where they can possibly get to mm. you mentioned there doug and, and ian thorpe coming over and obviously you know you'd go on to have a pretty big um you know high performance squad there it, eventually like i know kai hurst trained there as well and um what was that like for you when they came over because obviously ian came over with a fairly high profile already even as a junior athlete but then obviously he's gone on to to have success 14 15 as you said world champion for you training in that environment how much you know did you enjoy that yeah it was just a learning curve um so I had Greg Hodge at that stage. Um, so he was my coach from when I was about 15, um, 14 or 15 through to 16, 17. Um, so I think it was 97 Pan Packs. Um, so Simon was training with, with Greg at that stage and Simon made the 97 Pan Pack team. Um, and Doug was on that team also uh, with, with Ian. Mm-hmm. And it was um, towards the end of 1997, so just after Pan Packs. Where, where Doug um, came from Padstow over to Sutherland. So he bought him, um, he bought with him Ian, um, his sister Christina, and some, some very talented distance girls um, at that stage. So it was just a, a combination of the two squads, you know, who Doug brought across um, and those guys that were um, training at Sutherland at the time. So Tracy Menzies was, was coaching there and um, Cole Robson was coaching there. So Doug was able to, to come in and, and take over the program and then he um, took on Tracy as his assistant. So Tracy used to train um, under Doug as a swimmer at Padster herself. And then, so that was kind of the start of the, of the squads there. So we had about 25 to 30 kids in the squad at that stage. So Doug would look after the freestylers and Tracy would look after the, uh, the form strokers or the medley swimmers mainly. And it was just a, as I said, just a massive learning curve of, you know, what was needed to be done, um, what a heart rate set was, you know, what a real short rest set was, um, or you, you pull and you kick and how important kick was and, you know, the, the different things you can do in 10 sessions over the week. Like, you know, it's such a, a big range of things and, you know, you get to the end of the week and you're absolutely buggered, but, you know, you get so much out of it. So, yeah, that was a, a big mixture of, of different age groups as well. So myself being 17 was probably one of the oldest ones. You know, Ian was just a couple of years younger than me. Then we also had some some good 13, 14-year-olds. And because of the, um, I guess, the environment and the excitement that was in the squad, everyone was able to, to band together. And I guess at the start, it was more of a, um, a survival mode, you know, to get through the 10 sessions a week. And everyone was just, you know, helping each other and wanting to make each other better and get through each each week. And then, you know, we became you know, national age champions as a club as well. So it was a, a big thing. And also uh, individually, it made me, you know, step up and get some, start getting some good results. Mate, Sydney 2000 Olympics. We've just finished sort of celebrating it here on the, on the podcast. And obviously in terms of swimming, you know, we've, it's been widely celebrated all, all last week. 
How motivating was that for you looking forward? Because obviously we know you'd go on to make Atlanta. You'd go on, I'm sorry, Athens. You'd go on to make uh, a Beijing. How motivating was, was that games for you? Um, yeah, it was, it was a, a funny time because I made my first team in 19, um, 1999. So at the trials, you know, I was able to do a, a big PB. So I, I, um, I PB'd by about 30-odd seconds. I think I went 15-21 um, at the Pampac trials and then I was able to go 15-15 at Pampacs. So I was able to, to beat Kieran Perkins that year knowing that he didn't have a very good year mm-hmm. and, and also knowing that, you know, being 2000 Olympics that following year that he would be going a lot faster than what he went in 99. But, you know, being on the Australian team in, in 99 and, and being in, in the room with, you know, your Scott Millers and your Susie O'Neills and Michael Clems and, and all these legends, Dan Koloski, Kieran Perkins, who I was able to go on a, a distance camp the year before, um, you know, was it kind of maybe, maybe this is a, a next step. And, you know, I'd, I'd improved a lot over three years, um, dropping a lot of time. I think I had about a, a PB of around 1630 in 1997. And then two years later, I was going 1515. So um, I was hoping like that I would improve again and, and have, have a chance of making the 2000 Olympics. But, you know, it was a, a bit of a strange time and, you know, I think workload and different things, how the trials were set up and I, I didn't have a great um, Sydney Olympic trials, mm-hmm. but it also kind of made me um, think again about, you know, what it took and, and what I needed to do um, to get to that next level. So I finished third in those trials behind Grant and Kieran um, and not long after that, I decided to leave that program at Solon and, and moved down the AOS and that was, you know, just to to get my love of swimming back and, and to challenge myself and, and to put myself in an environment where I would in, start enjoying swimming again, because I guess you can do the same thing for a long time and start hitting your head against the wall. And, you know, that, that's what I started to do um, at Sutherland. So living at home, I needed to kind of get out and, and start to um, do things for myself a little bit. And, you know, when I first moved down to the AS in Canberra, I think I was about 20 or 21 at that stage. And, and I was the youngest one there. So, you know, you had the Sydney 2000 Olympics year before and so many of those guys that were down in Canberra had such a great Sydney Olympics. You know, I got along really well with you know, um, Bill Kirby's and Todd Pearson's and, and Michael Clems and those guys. And, you know, just to, again, learn from someone else other than me and how to, how to train and, and what I could do better. That was a, a big start in the, the next part of my swimming career. Mm. How long were you down there for, mate? And, and how much do you attribute that move to obviously the success that you go on to have? Um, I've got down here, obviously, 2002, Manchester, bronze in the 1500 at the Com Games. We know, obviously, you'd go on to, to make the Olympics in Athens. So that, that move, how much do you attribute you know, that to sort of kickstarting your career in, in sort of, or refreshing it in a different way? Yeah, I mean, you know, you're in the water for that much. You've got to really enjoy what you do and you've got to make sure that you know, you're doing it for the right reasons as well. So um, that was a big kickstart to to reinventing myself and, and how I wanted to train. So um, also the people I wanted to be around. Um, so Mark Regan was my first coach down in Canberra. Um, you know, so I mentioned Justin Norris earlier. So, you know, from us racing against each other as 10 year olds and, you know, then we're in the, in the squad um, with each other with Mark Regan. So I had, you know, some, some great swimmers, um, Petrea Thomas and Sarah Ryan mm-hmm. Um, to train with as well and, you know, just watching them and learning from them how they did things before training and after training, how to look after themselves. You know, we, we did our weight work during the day. Um, also, like, you know, work-wise, you know, everyone was doing uh, university or, or going to work. So I had a job as a video editor um, while I was down there doing all the biomechanics video editing in between training sessions. So that was something, you know, useful for me to, to learn a different skill as well as, all the swimming involved and I guess being down in Canberra at that stage, you know, there was a lot of um, um, help from the sports commission and we were able to go on, on different camps um, to Maroochydore and to Noosa and to other places and to, to really, you know, get stuck in and work hard. So uh, 2001, I moved down there. So we had the world champs that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was able to make the final of the 1500 that year. I think I was in the lane next to Grant when he broke the world record. So unfortunately I didn't get to see that swim that he did, that, that awesome 1500. But, um, you know, I, I made the final that year. And then the following year we had uh, the Pampax uh, 2002 as well as Commonwealth Games. Mm. So in 2002, 
um, I was able to get my 200 down and I, I made the final for the 4x2 team at Pampax and, and won a gold medal in that. So, again, that was just something different, something I'd never done before as well as that, that bronze medal in the, in the 1500 at, at the Com Games. And then we had the world champs in 2003. Um, so that, that year I was also able to win a gold medal in the 4x2. So it was just such a, a different atmosphere down there and, and something that I really enjoyed because of the amount of people that were around. Um, so Mark Regan uh, moved to Denmark and then I was able to have Glenn Berenger as a coach who was, you know, someone that was just level-headed and, and um, very uh, unique about his approach to, to the workload. And um, him and I did a lot of work together because he didn't really have any other distance swimmers at that stage. So sometimes it was just him and I on pool deck and he was, you know, really, um, you know, committed to wanting to, to see me go better. So the AOS at that stage was just such a, a great place to be a part of. Sort of a trainer, were you, mate? When you were in the pool, when you were sort of getting stuck in, what what motivated you? What kept you pushing forward? I've I've mentioned this a few times to different athletes because I could imagine, you know, some look at their goals ahead. Obviously, if you've got Olympic, you know, trials coming up or things like that, or some people just sort of go, if you've got thirty ones, they're just going one sort of, you know, one hundred at a time, just ticking those boxes. What sort of a trainer were you? Um, well, I guess for me. My two events, you know, the 400 and the 1500 uh, in this country, we've got very um, good pedigree in those events. So, you know, I was fortunate but unfortunate, I guess you could say, like, you know, swimming at the time that I I swam. I had, you know, Ian Thorpe, obviously, um, you know, world record holder in the, in the 400. Then you had Grant Hackett, world record holder in the 1500. Um, so all I was about was, you know, just trying to make myself be a better swimmer. Um, you know, I finished second a lot in the 1500 and third a lot in the 400 at the trials, um, but that was still able to get me onto teams. So I just made sure I had to keep working hard to put myself on a, in a position to, um, to make whatever team was competing that year. So, you know, I was, I was wanting to get my 400s and 200s down and also wanting to break 15 minutes for the 1500, you know. So I think um, it was a world, world trials. Um, you know, I was down around 1504, 1505, um, going into 2003, you know, I couldn't quite crack that 15 minutes at that stage, but that was a, a big goal of mine. And I think uh, the Olympic trials in 2004, I think I went 1501 or 1502. Mm. Um, yeah, so that was a big goal of mine to to break that 15 minutes. Um, I wasn't quite there at that stage, but you know, that that was my that was my goal, just to always put myself in a position to to finish as close as I could to Ian or Grant, but also like you know, just to PB and made sure I was doing everything that I could um, to get myself in a position to, to do a personal best time. All right, let's talk about 2004, mate, the, uh, the Australian trials. So obviously this is a, a very famous one in terms of, you know, when people sort of think of the trials there that Thorpey fell in, false started in the 400. Um, for you, from your perspective, how was all of that? Because obviously... Um, I think from the outsider's perspective, you know, there was a lot of commentary around it. Um, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, you would go on to, to give him that spot and he'd go on to race it in the 400. What was that like from your perspective with all the commentary around it? Yeah, it was just such a, um, I guess, a, a big thing at that stage, like, you know, being the first Olympics after Sydney um, and also myself wanting it to be my first Olympics. So, you know, having such a great 2001, 2002, 2003, Again, having that progression, I didn't want to get to the trials like, you know, in 2000 and, and go backwards. So, you know, having the, the great experience of being a relay swimmer in 2002 and 2003, I wanted to, to continue that as well. So, you know, being a 1500 metre swimmer, that's obviously at the end of the meet. So that was my, my big focus, but also um, making the, the 200 relay, I wanted to make sure that I finished in the top six in, in that event as well. So, you know, being on that, on that first day, the 400 for me was always, you know, as I said, I finished third lot in that event. So having Grant and Ian in front of me, you know, getting off to a good start on the first day was always a big thing. If I did a PB in the 400, that gave me uh, motivation for the rest of the week. Mm -hmm. So obviously that, that morning Ian Fall started and then, you know, I had to be able to just get up and, and do the best job I could to try to finish second in that event to, to cement my um, self a spot on the on the team by finishing the first and second or I was giving giving myself a as best shot just in case you know things didn't go to plan in the other two events um it was hard seeing in what what happened like being such a good friend of his and and him helping me so much over the years and 
I also had to then, you know, after that day, after finishing second in in that 400, get myself ready for the 200 um, heats, which were the following morning. So I was able to get through the heats, get through the semis, and then make the final for the 200. Um, I think I was in lane eight for the 200 final, um, and I ended up finishing sixth. So that was another another thing ticked off, finishing in that top six to hopefully cement my myself a relay spot, and then obviously then had to concentrate and made sure I finished um, first or second in the 1500. So I had a, a few days to rest, and you know there was always you know something written in the paper. You know we we were staying at the ridges at Parramatta. Um, we're at Rose Hill with the AOS team. And again, like that team environment helped me massively. You know, I think if I was on my own, um, you know, it would have been different. But, you know, being in a hotel room, having a roommate, being able just to, to talk about anything else other than swimming and, you know, having breakfast and, and other meals with, with the rest of the boys. I remember Regan Harrison was someone that was just, you know, always having a laugh. And, you know, he was always having a, a good conversation um, in regards to anything other than, you know, what was going on. So he was a, a person that really helped me through that week. Um, coaching wise as well having a great support network um, you know some guys that were there just, just to say you know if you need a chat all good but you know if not just you know we can still keep talking rubbish and keep your mind off it but yeah um, getting through that meet um, making the 1500 team or making the um, the team for the 1500 and then um, obviously after that I had a big, big decision to make well, mate, obviously 2004 Athens Games, we, we know that, you know, you would go on to, to give Ian that spot, but I'll, I don't want to keep harping on that. Let's move on. Um, the 4 by 2 relay you're a part of in the heats, obviously those boys will go on to, to get a silver. And also you, you made a final, your first Olympic Games, and you finaled in the 1500. As, a, as an experience, as Athens, you know, getting away from the trials, which obviously, you know, you, you should be very proud of because you went on to do a great job under, you know, a lot of sort of, as I said, media hype and all that sort of stuff. And you did really well in terms of just, you know, getting your head down and getting the job done. But obviously Athens, you know, you've, you've had a really positive experience there in terms of your results. Is that the way you look at it? You know, was there a lot of nerves going on? This is your first Olympic Games, but you're a little bit older by this stage too, weren't you? What, about 23, 24? Yeah, so I was, I was 24 at that stage. and It was, um, you know, when I started out swimming, you know, I just wanted to, to do the best I could. And, you know, now I'm finding myself at the Olympic Games and, and um, you know, being part of a relay team. So my first thought there was, you know, don't stuff up in the heats and false start because <laughs> you know, we're, we're a big shot. So yeah. I finished, um, I think I was the fourth swimmer. Um, we didn't know what was going to happen with that team, who was going to make the final. Um, you know, there was myself, uh, Todd Pearson, Nick Springer, and Anthony Makovich, who's from the heats mm. um, at those Olympics in the 4 by 2 um, I think Michael did a time trial. Um, and then he ended up getting a final spot with Nick Springer, so the rest of us missed out. So we just had to sit back and watch and hope the boys did well. Um, they still you did, did all right, though, mate. You went you went one forty eight. Yeah, so I was I was doing pretty pretty good at that stage, and you know, speed wise, you know, to my um, detriment, I think I made a, my um, focus too much on that two hundred other than the fifteen hundred leading into Athens. Um, you know, I made the final. I think I went fifteen oh nine in the heats and. 15-10 or 15-11 in the final. So it wasn't my best swim, but, you know, it's, it was a different experience having an outdoor pool. I think when we swam the heats, um, it was about 45 degrees, you know, so swimming for 15 minutes with that 45-degree sun on your back, swimming outside, it was very hard to recover from that, you know, so it shows, you know, how good those guys are, especially Grant, you know, to swim, you know, how we swam at those, at those games, you know, especially outdoor pool and backing up in between those events. So, yeah, it was fun. I, I really enjoyed Athens. It was a great team to be a part of and, and guys that I'd been with for a long time swimming through at that stage and I got to, um, you know, have some good race experience and, and got some good things out of it. I got a heat silver medal um, in that 4 by 2 and also make the final of the 15. So I couldn't ask for anything more. Mate, you mentioned something before that piqued my interest. R- roommates, how important are they in terms of you know, you getting ready for a meet or feeling comfortable or just feeling, you know, settled in, in sort of that environment. Um, who, who have some of your roommates been over the years in terms of trips away and teams? And as I said, yeah, how, how important is it to have that right dynamic that you do feel quite comfortable when you, you know, you go back to your room? Yeah, I mean, you've got to have someone there that you feel, um, you know, comfortable around and you can just kind of relax and, and talk about anything else other than swimming, as I, as I said before, just to, take your mind off it so I guess 
the boys that swam at the back end of the meet, they usually like to, to room together knowing that, you know, you weren't going to finish on day one and the other, the other mate had to, you know, go through to day eight and still be able to, to concentrate while the other ones, you know, sneaking out and doing naughty things. So it's, um, it's, it's a, a tough thing to make sure you've got that, that right arm, that right mixture. So um, I, I roomed with um, Jeff Hugel for a few years because he was obviously in that, that four by one medley relay team, which we'd swum on the last night. So, you know, with both of us swimming on the last day, um, we got along really well and, and roomed with each other a lot. Um, Pat Murphy was another guy that I roomed with quite a bit. Um, I roomed with Ian in, in Athens. So that was, you know, good to have him there and, and use him such a wealth of knowledge, you know, in Athens, it was weird because it was like a villa. We had eight of us in the, in the one villa with, with four bedrooms so just to be able to like you know go into the lounge room and, and have everyone there around us that was um, a good time and you know obviously then you had all the other Australian team you know from all the other sports to be able to go and have a chat with as well so but definitely you know swimming wise um you know that were two two good guys that I had around me so Jeff and um and Pat Murphy so both of those boys were you know very level-headed and, and good to talk to so I had um yeah good fun with them Mate, um, 2007 World Champs in Melbourne. I'm going to fast forward a little bit here. I know you've um, done some stuff in between 2004 and 2007, but mate, such is the longevity of your career that, you know, and, and we've got to get onto your coaching as well. So I'm going to jump forward to 2007 World Champs in Melbourne. What was that meet like for you being at home? Um, firstly, it's the first time I think for you under 15, if I remember correctly. And also you got a bronze medal in the 800 with Malau, uh, Mal- Maluli getting DQ'd. Yeah. So after, um, after Athens, I moved home um, back to Sydney and, you know, I, I had to decide whether you know, what I did was, you know, good enough for what I'd wanted to get out of swimming for my career or if I wanted to go that little bit further and, and try to do that a little bit more. So, you know, I got back in the water at the end of 2004, maybe start of 2005. Uh, I think I went to 2005 trials and did one event and thought, okay, well, you bastard, you need to get fitter. <laughs> You're not, not, up, not up to scratch. Um, it was a weird time then because uh, 2006 were in Melbourne and you know, the trial dates were changing. That was when things were starting to, to get a bit different. They tried to put the, the trials on just before the meet, um, so I wasn't quite tapered. You know, I finished first in the 400 at, at Com Games trials but they decided not to, um, not to pick me on the team. So that was a bit of a, a kick in the teeth. And, um, you know, again, a bit of a, a, bit of a setback. But um, Ian ended up putting, uh, pulling out. And I um, got put back on the Com Games team at the last second in, in 2006. But, you know, what I'd done in the meantime was I, I got back in and, and did some hard work. So we had um, the Men Ostrom Tour in mm-hmm. 2006, which, which I'd never done before. So I said to Tracy, I want to do something different. I want to go and, and race overseas and, and do these three meets. And so she was pregnant at the, at the time with her firstborn. So, you know, I was doing seven, eight K sessions. Um, I think Bruce Vivian was involved at Sutherland then and he was coming to help me out. Um, you know, so it was just myself um, doing the work. So that was just a, a bit of a motivator to get that swim or two swims at 2006 Com Games and then, do the men Ostrom tour and I swam really well there. I, I got some medals and, and was able to race really well internationally and come home. And we had actually had the trials for 2007 world champs at the end of 2006. So they were December, 2006. And I just missed the 15 minute mark and I was actually pretty surprised with how I went. Mm. So I had the, the summer time to swim and those 2007 world champs were in, in March in Melbourne. And, you know, they turned Rod Laver Arena um, into a swimming pool, yeah. which was just such a, an awesome thing. So you had so many uh, things to motivate you. And, and I was able to just scrape into the final of, um, of the 1500 there after making the 400 final and winning that medal in the 800, which was like, you know, the, the week that I could never imagine. So it was just such a, a big thing if I could try to cap it off and, and get under that 15-minute um, barrier. But, um, you know, the, the 1500 was moving a lot then so I think I went 15 double in the heat of the 1500 and that got me in lane eight for the final mm. so you know going back to 2001 where I was 15 15 ranked third and then going um you know 15 double and just scrapping in the final lane eight and and um you know un- or I guess fortunately in the final I was able to go that little bit quicker and break 15 minutes for the first time so yeah that was a, a huge week for me and obviously then leading into Beijing was a was a big motivator as well 
Big moment, mate, getting under 15. And as I said before, um, you know, one of a few people that, that were able to do it and have been able to do it. And it's, it's still to this day, a, still a big, um, you know, milestone to get under for, for all those years of, of effort and, and, you know, laps and, and all that sort of stuff and the, the gym and all that stuff that you put into it. That must have been, you know, would you say that, you know, outweighs sort of medals and all those sort of accolades? Because that's one thing that you had in your mind from, you know, the time you started on that journey, you never gave up, which is a note out there to all the swimmers who decide they'd rather go out on a Friday night. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, you just kept, st- would you say, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Would you say this is sort of a, a big moment in terms of that? Yeah, definitely. Like getting under that barrier for the first time was, you know, a massive highlight for me. Um, you know, like that world championship medal that I won, you know, that was a, a bronze medal where, you know, Malawi got disqualified and, uh, there's a, there was a big thing where I had to give my bronze medal uh, bronze medal back, um, and then he was supposed to give his gold back, and then the Polish guy was supposed to get the the gold medal. I was supposed to get the silver medal, and to this day, I still don't have a medal from that event. So, I mean, I don't really care, like because as you said, sometimes you know things are better than something you, you hang around your neck or you just pull out to to look at every now and then. So, you know, getting under that that 15 minute mark was is far more important than you know, having a medal to remember from an 800 of that same meet. So that was, again, like, you know, you talk about a, a perfect race, like a, I saw the Kathy Freeman documentary uh, recently and she talked about that 2000 Olympic race, like just uh, just putting that perfect race together. And for me, just getting under that 15-minute mark was just such a, not only a huge relief, but just such a, um, you know, big, um, I guess credit to all the people that have helped me along the way and, and knowing that what they did for me was, you know, part of the journey and then finally um, doing something that they were telling me that I could do all along and, and proving to, to myself and to them that, you know, they were right. Well, mate, 2008 Beijing Olympic trials. Um, you had another a fantastic meet there in that week and you went 14.53, which I think to this day is the fastest you've ever gone. Um, Talk to me about that week and how you were feeling and then talk to me about, follow that up with obviously the Olympic Games where, you know, probably, you know, and you'll be allowed to talk about this better than I will, but probably wasn't your better performance in terms of times and what led to that? Yeah, so I always swam really well, like over our summer months, like, you know, the, the Australian summer. Um, I did struggle at times, like, you know, tra- training over winter, the winter months here back at home. Um, you know, that's why I think, you know, the AOS did, did such a great job because they were able to take us to, to warmer climates um, and always go on camps and things over the winter months to, to motivate us and to get us training well. Mm. You know, I, I remember going to Colorado Springs one year um, and doing 300K weeks in a row, um, just being able to, to go to a different environment and get that little bit more out of myself. And, and you know, that, that year, like, you know, I had a really good trials, you know, went 14.53 and was swimming the best of ever swum obviously you know doing a six second pb in that event mm. um but after that i, I don't know if it was just a, a bit of a um a motivation thing or, or a confidence thing um you know we're looking at you know we're training at southern pool at the time and the pool's getting down to 22 23 degrees and you know, even though i tell my swimmers now that it's not not a big thing you know when you're trying to to push yourself to a certain you know tenth of a second over 50 or 100 you know because swimmers, you know, we're all pretty, all pretty weird in, in certain ways. So I was really big on, you know, goal times in training. And if I was off my time in a, in a certain set that what I'd done before, you know, I'd really start to worry and start to panic. And, and it's not very, um, not very nice, you know, when you're pushing yourself and trying as hard as you can and not going as, as well as you, you know you can. So I didn't have a, a great preparation. Um, we went to... Um, we ended up organising a trip to Thailand. Um, myself, Kai, who was training it with me at that time, mm-hmm. um, and Ash Callis, um, were training at a, at a university pool and we're doing weights after a, a swim session. I slipped on a weight bench and um, landed on my ribs and ended up um, having a, a little crack in my ribs. So that took a little bit of um, time out of my out of my preparation. You know, it's not an excuse, but. You know, I had to really concentrate not so much on this on the speed stuff that I worked on so hard for the for the 400 leading into Beijing, but I really had to make sure that you know once I got back into training, I was fit enough to be able to hopefully do two 1500s. Um, so the 400 was a disaster. So I just had to <laughs> collect, my, um, collect myself from that. 
and push forward and, and try to do a better job in the in the 15. Um, I was able to swim 15.04 in the heats. Um, but as I said, you know, the 1500 the year before had moved such a long way. Mm. And I'm pretty sure in Beijing you had to go 14.49 just to make the final. So even if I had done my best time, you know, I still would have been able to, well, not, not being able to make that, that 1500 final in Beijing. I mean, that feel was just phenomenal. That was just insane, like how fast those boys went. Yeah. Um, being in that different, um, you know, having the heats in the night, the finals in the morning. So everyone was just ready to go. It was nearly like a final um, in those heats. So, you know, swimming 1504, that last 500 metres was honestly the most pain I've ever felt in the water. Like, you know, I think it was the highest lactate I ever recorded mm-hmm. just because I wasn't fit enough. You know, I, I didn't have a, a great preparation, as I said. But, um, you know, just being able to put myself in a position to do the best I possibly could, you know, I walked away with my head held high, um, you know, nearly breaking 15 minutes again um, with the preparation I had. So, yeah, th- those Olympics weren't my best, but, you know, you, you take of it, you know, what comes and you look back and, and just make sure that, you know, you know that at that time you did the best you possibly could. Absolutely. Mate, talk to me about sessions. What are some of your favourite sessions that you've done? Uh, I don't want to bore people because a lot of, um, you know, parents and swimmers do listen to the podcast. So this is more for the coaches that do listen, mate. But what are some of your favourite sets or sessions that you've done? Uh, we had some crackers. Like, you know, you know, I remember doing the 100 hundreds a few times and, you know, the, the 24 hundreds and the 60 hundreds on 110 and the 10 three hundreds on 315. So, you know, I've been there, I've done them all. Like, I really, like, you know, I was lucky enough to have, you know, Doug at that stage of my career. You know, I'd, I'd had a few years where I hadn't done a lot, you know, through 13, 14, 15. So my body was, like, physically ready to work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we had some big mileage, as I said. Like, you know, we would, we went to Colorado, we'd do a, you know, a 40, 100s heart rate set in the morning. We'd do 30, <laughs> 50s flight lunchtime. We'd come back for a 3K time to fit in the afternoon. God damn. Um, you know, I remember being 18 or 19 coming off that, um, coming off that trip, being in Noosa and, and going 31.30 for a 3K timed effort, yeah. um, you know, against Kieran Perkins and, and Grant Hackett and those boys. Um, you know, went to Singapore for distance camp where I did 80Ks a week for the first time and just learning, like just, you know, those 4100s, those 2200 set. But, you know, what I really enjoyed like later in my career was being a lot more specific with my training. Um, you know, with Tracy, you know, wasn't you know, doing 50 100s on, on 110 just making and was doing 30 100s on 110 going 59s in minutes. Mm. Um, you know, doing six 300s on four minutes, holding 304s and 303s. So that were the type of sets that I, I really enjoyed it at that back end of, you know, my career because it it gave me a bit bit of ownership too. Like, you know, it should give me a bit of input, input into the sessions that I was doing. Mm. Um so when she put on the board a couple of sets and I would choose one, you know, that made me kind of train that little bit harder because I was the one that, that wanted to do that set afternoon. So I had to make sure that I proved to her that, you know, that set was the right decision for that day, you know, and she had some great ideas and, and sets she, she put up on the board were uh, really inventive and, and really good for me because it was so much more motivating um, to want to do what, what she, um, what she laid out. So yeah. Yeah, that, that's the type of stuff that I really enjoyed. And, you know, trying to get kids these days to be really specific, um, specific about what they want to do with their times in training and, and not so, you know, just up and down and, and not concentrating. So that was the, <clears throat> the, the part that I really liked about the training. It's interesting with those massive sets, isn't it, mate? Because there's no doubt that it makes you aerobically fit. There's no doubt after it you, you're feeling fitter. But how much of that do you think is physical and how much do you think at the end of it is mental to be like, God damn, look what I just went through. So there's, yeah. no, there's no way a 1500 is going to feel harder than doing what I just did. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Like, because I was listening to your, your podcast with the 4 by one boys and, you know, you talked about, you know, Ian's last 10 or 15 metres. And yeah. it didn't, didn't matter with Doug what set we did, how far we went, how hard we went. We would do eight finishes, max effort from 15 without, without breathing at the end of every session. Mm. Didn't matter if we'd done a 3K set or a 13K set. You know, we, he would, we would do six or eight finishes, 15-metre sprint, max effort without breathing. And, you know, that was how we finished off a lot of his races. So, you know, it just goes to show even though – some of those things are mental. Um, some of them are physical. Mm. Um, I used to like really love my, um, doing pull sessions. So you might you might have done five eight hundreds of pull on ten minutes, you know. But just 
you knew you were fit and swimming well when you could, you know, hold under nine minutes every one and, and have your minutes rest and go again. Mm. But knowing that afternoon you'd have your, your 4100s, you know, short rest set. So to be able to get through a week of, of that type of work and then you go into a race meet, as you said, like, you know, it, mentally and, and physically it wasn't as hard as the training um, that you went through. But you also had to make sure when you do your speed sets that you were holding specific paces so you knew your, your twos and your fours were going to be a lot better. Mm. So that was what I really enjoyed, like, you know, being part of those 200-metre teams because it gave me a little bit more, um, you know, leeway into my training, being able to do a bit more pace work um, as well as do my distance work. So it's, it's such a big thing to be able to mix it up and not be so um, uh, one-dimensional. Mm. You know, the kids have got to be able to do their medley have a second form stroke or have it have a second stroke to train for. You know, we, we did a lot of butterfly. I think I went 203 for a 200 butterfly without even being a butterfly, like just because like every, you know, twice a week we'd do 2050s of fly on 45 yeah. um, just as, a, as a, an aerobic set. Um, so being able to go, you know, such a uh, – or a pretty good 200 fly um, without even doing the fly, but obviously the aerobic amount of freestyle helped with that little bit of fly I did as well. Hey, talk to me about that transition from, <clears throat> pardon me, being an athlete into into coaching that uh, you know you're into now. And w- how did that transition come about? Retirement was that an easy thing for you to talk, uh, you know, to go through to to sort of come up with? Obviously, we've talked a lot on the podcast about people that go into retirement um, and they struggle at times with what's coming up. But did you already have a clear idea of what you wanted to do? <coughs> Um, after 2008, um, my wife and I, we, we went and traveled for, for 10 weeks overseas and, you know, we, we did a lot of things that, you know, we wanted to do for a long time because we haven't, we didn't have a chance to have that extended break. Um, but I made sure that when I got home, I got back in the water, um, and, and tried to train again. And I think I lasted maybe four or five weeks and, you know, I was, I was turning up to the pool, the sessions again, and I made, made sure that I wanted to. To finish it off I didn't just say no that's it you know I, I got back in and I, I trained for um as I said four or five weeks and that was what came to the decision that no, that's you know I don't want to be here I'm not you know training for anything nothing's motivating me at the moment so um you know that's what I say to all the swimmers you know when they do the HSC break you know try to to stay in the water and, and make sure that it's something that you don't you know or that it's really um in your mind that you don't want to do anymore um so that that was what I did and that really got me to the point where, you know, I've got to move on with the, the next part of my life. Um, you know, during the last three years of training um, back in Sydney, I was working part-time at Toyota Australia's head office down at Woolaware. And, you know, I really loved being in an office environment um, just with, you know, regular people and, you know, answering phones and answering emails. And, you know, I, I started to do that a little bit more um, once swimming was finished. Um, but I guess, you know, Working three days a week part time is a bit of a novelty around your training, but when you've got to be there forty hours a week, hated it. Hated every second of it. <laughs> um, you know, didn't want to be there. You know, they had a little three-hole golf course. You know, out on their out on their premises. You know, so we, I kept a, a pitching wedge, a, a nine iron, and a, and a putter under my desk, and went and hit golf balls at lunchtime just to kind of break it up a little bit and keep my sanity. But um, I got a phone call about six months. Um, after I finished swimming, asking if I wanted to, to come down to San Susie and, and coach, and I jumped at the chance, and I've been there ever since. So you know, 11, 11 and a half years later, and I'm I'm still there and, and still love it. You know, as I said, I've I've had my three kids come and learn to swim there, and I've been able to coach them myself and and see them love their swimming and enjoy it, as well as you know, meet um, a whole new bunch of kids and swimmers, and I still have great you know friendships with with swimmers I've coached in the past and, you know, guys that stopped swimming a couple of years ago when they start uni and, and work, they still come in and, and have a swim every now and then and have a chat and say hi. So, you know, coaching was the best decision I ever made after swimming because it, it gives you that competitive, um, I guess that competitive fire in your belly still. Like, you know, you, you want to see your swimmers do well from the work that you put in and, um, you know, you can be competitive as a coach, like, you know, by, by getting – them up and ready to race. And I think I, I probably get more nervous watching them swim than I do, like, you know, when I swim, when I swim myself. So, yeah. you know, I think, you know, a lot of people struggle, you know, after retirement because they've got nothing to, to push them and, um, you know, they lose that competitiveness and they, they want to find it again. So I've been lucky enough um, to, to get that through my coaching. 
Hey, you've got a young family, as we mentioned. How, how do you go about finding that balance between work and home life? I know it is something that is very hard my, for myself personally, especially with the podcast, which is, you know, as I've said before, taking on a life of its own every day. There's a, an episode coming out, plus, you know, full-time head coach. What about for yourself, still finding time to be with the family? Yeah, I mean, like watching them grow up at home is just absolutely awesome. I think we've got the best job in the world for that because we're able to come home during the day and, you know, as, as toddlers, you know, we can go out to the park with them. We can, um, we can play with them at home. We can do so many things, you know, with them. We can see them do their first so many times. Um, or I guess a lot of the, you know, people that have office jobs and things where they're at work a lot. So coaching-wise, I think definitely for those toddler years are absolutely awesome. But the hardest part now is like, you know, you get home from work, they go to school, mm. they get home from school, then we go to work. So um, you do miss a lot um, now during the week. Um, you know, I make sure that, you know, they, they come down to the pool at least two or three times a week and, and swim. So my wife brings them down. Um, and then either I coach them or I'm able to watch the last part of their session after I'm, I'm coaching the older guys and come home and make them breakfast before they go to school and, you know, try to muck around with them in the afternoon, play a bit of soccer or basketball in the yard before I go to work and, and they go to their other activities. And then, you know, weekends, you know, it's all about, you know, especially this winter, going to watch their soccer games and going to watch the AFL games. You know, we're lucky enough um, with COVID, you know, there hasn't been that many meets on the weekend. So we've been able to do so much more um, with the kids. But I think it's so important, you know, as coaches um, to be able to to spend time with our kids, you know, that are our own. You know, we sometimes we spend too many hours with kids that aren't ours. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a, there's a time, you know, there's, there's their time and there's their own kids' time. So I try to, to balance it out the best I can and, and make sure that, you know, you put your phone down and, you know, you have your quality time at home having dinner and, and putting them to bed. And then, you know, obviously when it's time to work, you, you put your effort into the kids that you're coaching. Absolutely. Mate, uh, how much did being an elite athlete yourself help, you know, coming into coaching and having that sort of um, understanding of what athletes have gone through? I know for myself, obviously, that's probably something where I don't, you know, know. Obviously, I swam till about 15, but certainly not an elite level and certainly not at world champs and Olympics. So there's experiences and, and things that you guys get to go through that a lot of us don't, you know, get to experience. How important was that, do you think, in terms of your coaching and, and understanding what swimmers are going through and, and especially in training and outside of it? And also, you know, how important was that to helping, you know, shape your coaching philosophy? Um, coaching philosophy-wise, um, I guess I maybe I'm a little bit too soft on myself sometimes, like because you know I used to hate turning up to training, knowing what the session was going to be on the board, knowing how hard it was going to be, but just getting in and doing it otherwise. So, like I don't like to see you know kids get bored and things. So I think I might I may change things around too much, yeah. uh, which is sometimes you know um, you know hurt me a bit with with my coaching. Um, but obviously, like you see kids, as I said before, like, you know, you want them to, to show you that they're committed um, to turn up, you know, when they need to turn up. So also like being that little bit more relaxed, um, you know, with their other sports. So sometimes I get a bit frustrated, you know, with them. But sometimes I think it's it's more my own fault because I don't give them some of the direction that they need at, at certain times. Mm. Um, in terms of programming, that makes it hard as well because – I guess when you have that flexibility, say you've got so many sessions, you know, a week on offer, and then you've got some showing four times a week, some showing six times a week. Um, so then it's hard to kind of program. So that's why, like, now coming into this new timetable and, you know, starting fresh from COVID, you know, I've tried to really focus back on uh, the fundamentals, like, you know, making sure that you've got, if you've got a, a certain program or a certain squad, you want more to show up, you know, X amount of times. And so it's, it's getting back to that squad environment, just that enjoyment, you know, those kids being around each other a lot, learning from each other, pushing each other and us there to guide them, you know, telling them when to come, um, just making sure it's, it's fun and competitive, but also, you know, they're getting out of it what they need to get out of it. So when we come to race time that they're getting the results that they deserve. Um, so I think, yeah. So sometimes, as you said, like, you know, you look at coaches around the world and, you know, different sports and that sometimes those coaches who don't quite make it, in their sport that give them that extra competitive drive and, and, and to want to get better. Um, you know, sometimes it's not the best athletes who make the best coaches. So I try to, you know, to still give myself that, that chance 
to make sure that I instill in them everything that I've learned, you know, just that perseverance because you don't know when it can come. Like, you know, I could have easily given swimming away when I was 15 or 16 when I wasn't enjoying it that much, mm-hmm. you know, but I, hang in there, I hung in there because of how much I loved it. So that's what I try to get my swimmers to understand. Like, you know, they've got to love what they do. They've got to love turning up. They've got to love swimming. And when they get to the point where, you know, it's time for them to step up, well, hopefully they love it enough to, um, to want to turn up, you know, 10 times a week and, and just really put in the hard work and, and get the results that they, they want to get. Absolutely. Mate, uh, I like to finish my chats, as you know, because you're an avid listener to Off The Blocks with some less serious questions. Um, just rapid fire stuff, which I think helps us get a better understanding of what you know you like at home when you're just chilling. So I'll just throw it out and you throw it back because I know we're time poor. We've both got to get off to, <laughs> to coaching gigs and stuff. So I'll, I'll wrap it up quick. What's your uh, favorite music to listen to? Uh, I like a, a mixture, mate. I like, I like Beach Boys to uh, 50 Cent to Taylor Swift, whatever's going on. I, I just like to listen to anything. I like anything except for what the kids are listening to these days. As soon as Pretty that's much. No, 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 no TikTok stuff. No, not at all. Uh, <laughs> what about favorite movies, mate? What do you like to watch? Uh, I like the old school. Like I like, you know, the uh, Gladiator, um, Friday Night Lights, you know, those kind of inspirational type movies where you just like, you know, watch them, turn the yeah. sound up and um, yeah, a good action movie. But also my stupid, funny, old-school Adam Sandler. You can't beat him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's got to be old, though. You're not any of the new ones. He lost it for a long time. Uh, what about <laughs> favourite books, mate? Do you read? Um, again, like I like to, to read um, motivational stuff. So I've read, you know, Michael Jordan's book, yeah. um, uh, Phil Knight, uh, Phil Jackson. You know, so I've, I'm big into a bit of basketball, you know, watching back um, – those boys that used to play back in the day, like, you know, where it was a lot tougher, a lot harder. Um, and just reading, you know, how those guys went about their, their work and the effort and the dedication that they showed. Phil Jackson, there's a coach for you, isn't he? What a successful yeah. coach he was. Mate, he's a, he's a legend. Uh, what about, uh, mate, favourite uh, meals? What do you like to eat? For myself, a chicken schnitzel and chips. You can't go past it. What about you? Oh, mate, our bowling club does the best schnitzel every Saturday <laughs> night. We're there pretty much. Um, yeah, love a good burger. You know, got a good wife that... Um, uh, loves the Thermomix meals. So, like, yeah, she makes a great buttered chicken to um, uh, to risotto, to, to bolognese. So, yeah, we normally let our kids choose the, choose the weekly menu. So, yeah. we, um, we like to travel around the world with our menu every week. Oh, that's very nice. That's very exotic, mate, to travel around really? the world. You, I can't keep up with my daughter. One night she likes something, the next night she'll throw it on the floor. So, you just never, uh-huh. you never know what you're getting in my house. Uh, back in your face. Oh, no, she has. She's thrown pieces of toast right <laughs> at my forehead. Um, <laughs> but you visited some countries in your time. What are some of your favourites? Um, yeah, so over the years, we've been to some great places. I love the States. Um, you know, Las Vegas, LA, as I said, you know, we went to Arizona quite a bit with our training. We got to visit, you know, the Grand Canyon from there and, and different places. So, yeah, I love it. I love America, Hawaii, and also... Um, as I said, you know, we went to um, some tra- training camps in Singapore and Thailand. So as a family now, we, we love going back to Thailand. It's a, it's a good, cheap holiday. Yeah, very nice. I do want to get over there myself, but, um, you know, COVID, we can't go anywhere. <laughs> I don't go up to Newcastle and even there, people looking at me like, what the bloody hell are you doing here? <laughs> um, <laughs> mate, what about uh, quotes? You know, all coaches like to have at least one or two quotes up their sleeve. What are some of your favourites? Uh, I think one off the top of my head is so, only the pain of a hard workout can save you from the agony of defeat. How about that one? You like that one? Do you, um, where'd you get that one from? Did you get a lot as an athlete from your coaches? Were there a lot of coaches around the teams that were big on quotes? Yeah, Doug used to love them. I used to have this um, log book, just the, those um, daily diaries that you used to write all, write all my sessions down on. I used to keep a, a weekly total and a yearly total and, at the top of every page, every day, used to have like a, a quote written there. So, yeah, you used to be able to get some good ones. And another one that Tracy used to like was um, making the uncomfortable comfortable. That is a good one. I like that one. Um, another person who loves their quotes is your mate and my mate, uh, Cole Robson, who I coach with with a bit, as you know. And every day there used to be a new quote up on the whiteboard. So, uh, <laughs> he, does he, he does love his quotes i still use excuses are for losers to today <laughs> I mean, it's not politically correct to say it anymore but uh, uh, i think the message gets through that you know if uh, you're yeah. not winning there's always usually an excuse as to why yeah, uh, 
<laughs> Mate, finally, I want to talk to you about, you know, your legacy in the sport. Um, what, what do you want people to remember you as, as an athlete? So if someone says um, Craig Stevens, um, you know, two-time Olympian, how do you want to be remembered as an athlete? Uh, I guess someone that just went about their, went about their business and, you know, didn't, didn't talk too much, just got in and swam and, you know, was averagely okay as a swimmer that, that got some pretty good results. So, you know, it was just something that I was able to, to be lucky enough to, at, at a time, as I said, to, to be in a, a great mixture of, you know, such great um, athletes who have had in the sport. So, you know, just someone that, you know, that was always working hard and, you know, achieved some, some good things through um, putting in hard work. Oh, mate, I think you're underselling yourself there dramatically. Average swimmers don't make two Olympics, I can assure you. So uh, I want to take this opportunity to thank you very much, mate, for coming on. I know, you know you're a busy man. And um, as I said, we're about to both pretty much log off this and run straight out the door. Um, thank you very much for coming on for a chat. It's been a privilege, mate, to go through your career. And I, I think definitely someone that uh, is underestimated in terms of what you've achieved in our sport. Definitely someone who is a, a prime example for all the young swimmers out there that listen to this today about, you know, persevering, keep pushing yourself, keep challenging yourself. Because as I said, look at what you went on to achieve. Um, average is not the, the word that I would, uh, you know, use to describe you at all. Um, you know, thank you very much for your, you know, contributions to our sport, mate. Obviously one of the toughest and most, most determined swimmers I think we've had. So thank you very much for coming on Off The Block Swimming Podcast. I appreciate um, all your words, Robbie. And, um, mate, keep up the good work with your podcast. You're doing a great job. Thank you very much, champion. Have a good day. All right, you too, Robbie. Today's episode of Off The Block Swimming Podcast is proudly brought to you by our good sponsors at Pro Swim Workouts. Thanks so much again to Craig for coming on the podcast. Still so many great guests coming your way. Do not miss a minute of the action as we get closer to the final week of season three, which is only a few weeks away. It's going to be blockbuster interview after blockbuster interview leading all the way up to our 100th episode, which is going to be amazing. And I cannot wait for all of you guys to celebrate it with us. Until then, though, guys... Have a great day. Kids, enjoy your school holidays. Parents, maybe head to the bottle and stock up. And it's bye for now.